Hi guys, this is Keeping It Real with Bridget O'Neill here. The story behind the storytellers. I interview the biggest, best storytellers who also partner as hosts, comedians, and writers. You know when you hear a five-minute story on the moth and you think, hmm, I wonder what happened to them since. How has it changed them or affected their life? Who is this person on a daily basis? Well, I'll help you uncover those questions and we'll have fun along the way, I promise. You will never have the same amount of respect for an Applebee's maple butter blondie after you hear Gaster Alamante's story. Gaster is a, an award-winning stand-up comedian, storyteller, writer, and host. He's appeared on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening, Risk Podcast, and Story Collider Podcast. He also finished and released a comedy album called Immigrant Made. I, I was gonna say I was gonna send Gaster a photograph of what's occurring right now, like how legit this is, but I can't Gaster because Gaster refuses to give me his phone number. I refuse to give you my phone number. No, I text my phone number. I sent you mine. If anything, you refuse to send me yours. The email before this, you sent me a phone number with eight digits. Oh, Jesus Christ. How many so digits I, that, are that, there? That's why I didn't call you um, when we were or, or text you leading up to the, the meeting. I was like, oh okay, I don't, I don't know what this is, but uh, this is definitely not the United States. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do here. This is why, yes, this is why I don't have a job. I probably <laughs> have an eight-digit an eight phone number on my resume, and this is why I don't have a date. Because I give my phone number out, and then guys go to call me, and they're like, "That bitch totally just super scammed me and gave me eight digits." And then I'm like, "Why I'm didn't you call you. me?" And now I'm like, "You know what? Gaster's getting too big for his britches. He won't. He won't give me not his at phone all. Number. Not at all. You look, you look at the email that you sent me at 8:50 this morning, and look at the phone number you sent me, and and you'll see what I was looking at. <gasps> Your comedy is more monologue." Uh, style. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, I don't, I don't do like set up punchline. No. Um, random observations. Almost everything I do in my stand up is uh, is about my life, for it, and it's some, it's usually in a story form. Yeah, because the first story I heard you do is the one about your wife being pregnant and going to Applebee's to get her a blondie. Um, okay. That I saw on Comedy Central. I think that's the first time I saw you, and it's the first time I saw your story. And I was like, "My God, this guy knows how to tell a story." I mean, from from A to Z, the entire arc, the timing, everything was incredibly impeccable. And I was like, "I need to watch this guy over and over again, so that I can kind of, you know, craft my stories as seamlessly as you do." Can you tell me a little bit more about that story? And I, I did also want to ask you about reverse drive-by, but I wanted to focus. Yeah, sure. And then I know I'm jumping all over, but I do want to hear about Immigrant Made, too, because I haven't – I've seen the trailer, but I haven't seen the actual show. Am I right in saying yeah, that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what I would love to do is I, I don't want you to – I don't want to have to have you repeat the same story again. I'm sure you've told it a million times. But just for folks that maybe haven't heard it, like be the, the premise or like maybe like a th condense it to like a three minute, which I, th I think would be really hard because everything that you do is really well is that timing. But um, just to give people like the gist of, of that story. Yeah, um, in, in a nutshell, uh, when um, my wife and I were expecting our, our first kid, my daughter, um, I, I was uh, 
questioning my abilities to provide as a man uh, a, a safe place. And uh, my father kind of simplified that as uh, to be a good husband and a good dad. You really just got to uh, do three things, heavy, high, and far. You know, if something's heavy, you pick it up. If something's high, reach for it. And if something's far, go get it. Um, so uh, soon afterward, uh, I had an opportunity to kind of put that uh, into action. And um, that came in the in, 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 in the form of uh, helping my wife satisfy one of her pregnancy cravings. She wanted a apple peas, maple butter blondie. And the story is, the, <laughs> is me attempting to get the blondie for her. Um, which was always uh, difficult because my job ended at the time that the Applebee's were closed. Uh, so on a particular night after I discovered that there's a new Applebee's that closes an hour later than my shift, uh, I got three speeding tickets uh, in the back and forth of trying to get uh, Blondie to my wife. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's the gist of it. That's how it works. How much did that? that... Funny. <laughs> <laughs> how much did that blondie? And I love the way you say it for some reason. Like, what is it? What do you say? A maple something blondie? Uh, Applebee's maple butter blondie. It, uh, maple butter. It has, uh, it's like yeah. Walnut chunks, uh, caramel maple syrup, a uh, warm blondie, and ice cream. It, it is beautiful. So it is amazing. <laughs> and okay. they don't even sell it in New York anymore. I've only found oh. it in Florida in the last five years. Oh my God! Thank God you don't have to drive yeah. down there, or I, I, because yeah, I know yeah, you she would. Yeah, not pushed that. We, we're not having any more kids, <laughs> so I don't have to do any pregnancy craving drives to Florida. How? But, uh, yeah, in we total? made a trip to Disney World last year. She got very excited oh. uh, to refind it again. <laughs> that seems to be her end goal, whether you know it or not. Yeah. Like I want to go to Disney. No, you, you really want to go to Applebee's. How That's much? all she wants. Simple lady. How much did that blondie cost you that night? Way too much, way too much. I spent three hundred, was it three hundred seventy, three hundred eighty bucks? <laughs> it was way too much money. Because some of those were speeding tickets, right? Yeah, I spent a hundred. It was a hundred and ten dollars on each speeding ticket. I got three of those. I spent uh, the blondie taxi tip was ten dollars, so that's uh, three forty. Then on the second blondie, I spent another ten. Plus uh, forty bucks more in tips. Um, so what is that? Three forty, three fifty, three ninety. Yeah, because you say at one point you got there so late, um, the waitress was closing, and you're like, "I'll give you forty dollars if you get this order in." So you were just yeah. you know, throwing money around left and right. And I remember listening to the story like, "How do I find a gaster? How do I get a gaster <laughs> in my life?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I finally saw the picture of Gabby. I'm like, God, she's a really cute girl. Um, so I was like, I get it. I get why he 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 did this. Um, and I know I'm going to jump around a bit, but I really I think what really hit me too when you told that story, and I believe maybe it occurred in another story. You brought your father up, and can you tell me again that that those three things? It's heavy, high, and far. Is that right? Yeah, heavy, high, and far. So, yeah, my accent is a little thick, so I know like in uh. In the TV version, the the subtitles kept saying "fall," but uh, yeah, it's far. Uh, so something's heavy, you pick it up. Mm -hmm. Some's high, you reach for it, and some's far, you go get it. Um, if you do those three things, you know your significant other tends to be pretty happy. Um, and and that's generally my role in the house now. Like you know, if something's on the top shelf, I, I'm the guy they call. Mm -hmm. If something's heavy, I'm the guy that picks it up. And uh, you know, some's far, I go get it. And also, it functions as a as you know, metaphor too. You know, something is harder to achieve. 
you know, I have to kind of like go after those things and set a long-term vision for those things, so on and so forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, just in the pursuit and in the effort of doing those things, uh, I think uh, you'll you'll end up having a happy relationship just because, you know, the effort is appreciated, you know, yeah. and reciprocated. Yeah, yeah. I love that kind of the, those words of wisdom from a father, and I don't think I've ever heard anything like that kind of uniform that you can actually apply and i was wondering where he got that from yeah my, my dad has a way of simplifying almost every aspect of life down to like a sentence uh so he he very much has like just like a set of rules that he lives by this is my code this is what i do and and he, he's and he'll tell you he's like i might not be the best dad or the best husband but i know that if i do these things i'm pretty good what advice would you give us people to keep the marriage strong? Um, I mean, it, I, I'll be serious for a minute. Um, uh, advice for a good marriage is uh, uh, the thing that I think a lot of people forget is uh, uh, having your own separate hobbies. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like when you start dating, the reason the relationship works is because you meet up with this person two to three times a week and you hear them talk about all the exciting things that happened to them that week. And you don't necessarily want to do those things with them, but you love seeing <laughs> them talk about it, right? Yeah. I love seeing passion in my wife. I love seeing excitement. I love seeing joy in her. And when I dated, we got that all the time. In fact, that's all you got. Whereas when you start, when you get married, all your hurdles and problems and all the things that are exciting the only negative is that they're they're happening together. So, like, mm. you'll have a kid, you'll buy a house. So when you go do date night, you got nothing to talk about because oh, you were shit. there. You know, like, don't tell me that story. I was there for that story. <laughs> you know, like, what else you got? You know? What else you got? So, what else you got going on? And yeah. it ends up feeling like the relationship is dying. It's not dying. Right. It's just that you're not bringing nothing new to the table. You're not yeah. showing your partner that other side of you, the excited an energetic, passionate person. Wow. But yeah, yeah that's hobby. true. That's true. I like that. When you see the, um, a genuine passion in, in your in your mate and you see them getting stoked about it and talking about it and they kind of light up, that makes you happy yeah. as well. Um, and you make a good point about dating where everything's always new and you can keep bringing something fun to the table. That's why I prefer just to keep dating so I'm constantly interesting <laughs> and, not, no. and not settle down. Um, I'm kidding. No, but you could sit down and, and say, oh, my God, that was some crazy shit on Game of Thrones. Like, I can't believe that twist and turn. You can tell I haven't seen the show. Um, but my ex go. loved it. And I was like, whatever. I would go in another room and watch, you know, Marathon of Sex and the City again. Um, well, well, that's perfect, actually. See, that I yeah, like. like uh, I like it, too. My wife has a ton like of TV rooms. shows that she watches that I will never watch. But I like her telling me about the TV show. Okay. That makes sense. You know, like, I yeah. like seeing her excited about the show and giving me her 10-minute recap of why this drama is important, you know? But I don't want to watch the show with her because then it's a bad show that I'm watching. You know, <laughs> oh, like, I don't want to watch the shit. You watch it. Right, but now if right. you're excited about it later and you want to tell me why it's so cool, I'm with that, you know? And the same way back, too, like, um, I watch, you know, I don't, my wife doesn't want to watch the Giants, you know, toss away the season. <laughs> but, toss away the season. You know, but as we as we are tormenting <laughs> ourselves and our fans during this year, she likes hearing me express those feelings afterwards. She finds it fun. Yeah, you know, I like a good recap. I wanted to ask you about um, what is the drive by re reverse drive by. 
um, yeah. a little bit more about that story, like in, in like a short little blip as well. Um, yeah, reverse drive-by is uh, the story of my first job. Um, my dad owned a laundromat, and uh, my job was uh, to pretend to be the uh, vendor for the vending machine that loaded up sodas. Uh, but in actuality, I used to just take the cash uh, from the uh, uh, soda machines that he would hide there from the laundromat business and deposit it in the bank. And uh, the first uh, time that I was supposed to do this, uh, instead of going straight to the bank, I just had a really, really extravagant pizza party. And uh, my father found out about it, and uh, he sent his friends to beat me up and uh, kind of teach me a lesson on what you know you should do when you're carrying $10,000 of somebody else's money. Oh, uh, yeah. that's in a vending Wait, um, there's $10,000 in a vending machine? Um, well, it wasn't all just money from the the sodas. It was also the the money from the laundromat. And also I find out that uh, my dad used to uh, uh, be like a, a loan shark kind of thing for the neighborhood. So uh, he had a little more cash than the business needed for day oh, one. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So um, I got jumped. They took the cash, and uh, we ended up uh, robbing somebody to get uh, the money that I was missing so that I could make the deposit that day. What? And uh, Yeah. Isn't there legitimately a saying, you got to steal from Peter to pay Paul? Yes, very much so. (laughs) What we returned, when we figured out that my dad was the one behind the robbery, Mm. he gave me the money to go deposit, not knowing that I'd already completed it with other money. Oh, my God. Um, so, guys. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> went too. about returning it, and uh, that's how I did a reverse drive-by. I literally put it in the book bag, <laughs> and I threw it out the window, Oh my and God. I drove away, saying, my bad. I need some. I need to learn business from him. Cause yeah, he's he, a savvy dude. He is a savvy dude, because I'm thinking of one story, and I'm all over the place, but I remember there was something – Weren't you selling? Oh, prophylactics. That's how the grand. Oh, that's how I'm, my grandpa says that word. Yeah, I, I, condoms, I was rubbers. Away condoms. Yes. New that York is, uh, City condoms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you tell me that one yeah. instead? That's the one I'm, th- I'm thinking about because I know you had your father in it. I remember always thinking, like, man, his dad is savvy. He's a good businessman. I need to get some some <laughs> some lessons from him because I think your dad owns like a couple properties or a couple buildings or something. Like, he's not a dumb dude. Like, this guy knows. How to work money. Yeah, very industrious dude. Uh, but yeah, not a condom story was actually just him trying to give me a lesson. Um, he was very annoyed at the fact that uh, in my uh, early 20s, I still hadn't really uh, established any real business sense, to, at least not by comparison. You know, like he already had properties when he was like 24. Um, so Damn. Uh, he was telling me to be a better, uh, make better business decisions. So uh, the same day that he was telling me this, uh, my girlfriend, who's uh, now married, Gabby, uh, she was planning her sister's bachelorette party, and they were gonna do like party games where, like, you know, like they uh, they were gonna use like the condoms, like blindfold them and like place them on the penis. Whose penis? <laughs> There's like a, they, I, that's what I was asking. The Why didn't time. you ask her that question? <laughs> hey, she had she was they, she showed me all these like silly things they bought. They were actually pretty funny. But yeah, it was like a lot of plastic penises. That they Got would it. put on the wall, and <laughs> girls would blindfold and have to roll them on. They'd oh, like pin the tail on the donkey. Yeah, there you go. Oh, That's my God. I grew up with it that, pin the tail on the donkey. You played it? Well, 
like le- like legitimately pin the tail on the donkey, not pin the the penis on the honky. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the game. It was, it was really funny to see. And like, uh, <laughs> depending on the um, which uh, penis you got, you had like different advantages. Some penises were bigger than the other, so like it took longer to roll the. It was really like a cute game. But uh, yeah, she told me she was gonna buy a hundred condoms for seventy-seven bucks on Amazon, and I felt like that was a ripoff. Like, that is a ripoff. I, I, you know, for the amount of condoms she was buying, I felt like they were better prices. And uh, I ended up uh, signing up for New York City free condoms, um, and I thought that this was a good solution, um, thinking I'd get you know fifty to one hundred condoms for free, uh, not realizing that they would send me two thousand condoms. <laughs> Uh, instead, and uh, yeah, I spent uh, the whole weekend trying to get rid of them. Uh, it was very stressful. It was very stressful. And, and uh, by the time I was done, I felt extreme relief, and uh, the city decided that I should be punished um, by sending me a new shipment every eight weeks for oh, about two God. years. Did so, you yeah. say you were with a school or something, or do they always just send like 2,000? I said I was with a youth group that had <laughs> uh, 40 people that attended every every meeting. And somehow to the city, that means that we need 2,000 condoms <laughs> every week. I don't know how that math works, but <laughs> the city really believes in the sexual activity of the yeah, kids active. in the city. Yeah, I would say I gave out like about uh, over the course of two years, probably about 20,000 condoms. Wait, for real? Like, you were stuck with all of these con- – when did they stop sending them to yeah. you? Like, it that took does, me actually, that does... years to get the shipments to stop. I would I have got, nightmares. Uh, I would have nightmares. I was getting 2,000 every eight weeks. Oh, my God. Um, it took me a little over two years, I would say. I know I know. initially I got it to stop once, and, I, and then they started coming again, and they thought that I didn't want the next shipment, not that I didn't want any more shipments. So uh-huh. I was still getting them again. It was insane. Oh, now uh, this is a good idea for getting back at people. This is great. Yeah, yeah that would give me a it's lot a of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, like it's not, it's a silly thing at first, but when you keep getting mm-hmm. the boxes, it gets stressful because they're huge. Yeah. Oh my god! So, so are you close to your father? Is he still married to your to your mother? Was yeah, yeah, he... yeah. My parents. Uh, they're still parents married. Are still it's been uh, yeah, they've been married. They're together now. Uh, Wow. I want to say like 38, 39 years. Um, That's great. And uh, yeah, I see them. I see them every like two days. I saw them this morning. Yeah. Um, we we both own houses on the same block actually. Nice. So we see each other a lot. Um, so she likes take, his take, hijinks. Take kids pretty often. What she likes his hijinks. She likes what he gets up to and into. Yeah, he likes messing with me in general. Like uh, before I did stand up comedy like full time, like I had a regular day job and. He's been, you know, pretty much working for himself now for like 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So like uh, in the mornings when I would leave for work, he would barbecue steak on purpose what? just to like wave at me while I was driving by his backyard. That's so he did mean. that for like a solid, yeah, for like a solid year, I would say he did that. He would wake up in the morning, grill a steak at like eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning and wave a steak at me from the from the backyard. He never believed in like working for anybody else. He's always he's always been like entrepreneurial. Oh, so um, that so was him taunting you. He's like, if that if that company is paying you that kind of money, that means that they trust you to do that. So you have mm-hmm. that ability already. Yeah. And 
you should believe in yourself as much as, you know, that company does. So yeah, I'm just going to go right into this because um, I have dual citizenship um, as an Irish lass, uh, 99. Apparently, I don't have to do my Ancestry.com because my brother did it. So um, tell me about your immigration story. Um, I bring it up yeah, because yeah. your uh, the um, name of your show is called um, Immigrant Made. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get I the censure to Dominican Republic. Um, my parents both immigrated here from the Dominican Republic. Um I am also uh, the first of uh, my family uh, from my mother's side to be born here. Uh, so, like, I'm, I'm like a real, I'm like literally the line. Like, everyone mm-hmm. else older than me, all of my cousins are born in the Dominican Republic, and everyone born after me was born here. Um, I'm also the line of the, uh, the deterioration of our Spanish. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm able to speak it, but I clearly have an accent. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is great, by the way. Uh, it, yeah, like I, I, I do it well. I try my best. Uh, whereas, like everyone older than me, clearly speaks it and speaks it natively, um, and then everyone after me gets progressively worse. Uh, now, like uh, my kid brother, who's uh, 19, uh, barely speaks it but understands it enough to like order food. Mm-hmm. Uh, the family has uh, has progressed and done better and better. You know, college educated. A lot of businesses have been started. It's just been cool to see, like, the family uh, start uh, from super humble beginnings. Um, Both my mom and and dad came from large families that were uh, farmers. Um, And, you know, now, like, all their kids are homeowners uh, and their grandparents in this country. Uh, I don't think any one of my cousins has less than a bachelor's. Uh, We have a few uh, doctorates, a few master's. A uh, few entrepreneurs, so it's just been cool to kind of see that progress. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I talk about in the album. Like, uh, I just think uh, it's really cool to kind of track um, what happens to a family when um, somebody has a vision for more. Um, and it's kind of like uh, you know, my parents had that they wanted a they had a they had a life that was comfortable that provided, um, and they were both uh, some of the first people to come to this country and kind of pull back their uh, relatives to come with them after the fact. Um, and the things that came from that for both sides has been uh, beautiful. And I think it's a super American story. You know, it just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, La- uh, Latinos might've been the most recent group to do that. But, uh, you know, to your point, you know, Irish, uh, Italian folk, uh, Scottish folk, uh, Jewish folk, we've all kind of had like a, a point where we uh, come over here and we played that role of a new lost immigrant and slowly uh, becoming a native to this country and then watching your kids uh, be able to reap uh, the rewards of that sacrifice, of that vision, of that uh, risk of being taken, of leaving the comfort of what you know for this unknown place. And uh, what I found interesting is uh, this neighborhood that like, I viewed as black and brown for years that I grew up in, East New York. Um, as I got older, the more I researched it, the more I realized that for almost all of those groups, it was the first place they, they stayed. Obviously, it's a, it's a bit like a, a dark depiction, but like, you know, like the, the Goodfellas movie shows like a big Italian community. That's all in East New York. They're on Pickin Avenue. Um, you know, uh, when my father uh, bought his first house, when we were ripping up the floors, we found love letters from a Jewish girl in the 1930s. Um, you know, so like uh, over and over again, like that neighborhood in Brooklyn became like a, a first stop before people moved on to 
kind of established themselves elsewhere. So I just thought it was cool that, like, you know, the story that was super important to me has kind of been, it's just being remixed over and over again, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's just kind of like a nice first step for what ends up becoming a successful and important part of this country's culture. Are you going to write a book? Maybe you're writing one now. Because your stories yeah, are yeah, very, that's, very, that's very rich. Um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so you, um, yeah, so you are writing. On one now. Okay. How, I'm gonna, oh, let's talk about that for a minute. How grueling do you find it? Or do you not find it grueling? I mean, I, I, I'll let you know when it's done to see if it was. So far, it's been okay. Okay. Um, yeah, just like uh, in general, I write every day for about four to six hours. Jesus. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's how you get good. That's determination. <laughs> so yeah, it just kind of happens during the course of the day. Um, so in terms of like the book, um, I kind of like to uh, set the idea that I'm not necessarily uh, setting to write that today. You know, I just make sure that every day I write. And mm-hmm. sometimes it ends up being stand-up. Sometimes it ends up being a story I want to do live. Sometimes it ends up being stuff for my pilot. Sometimes it ends up being the book. Um, I find that I get writer's block when I try to write a specific thing. Yeah. Um, but if I'm just always writing, you know, I just always have material for whatever it is I need. Right, right. Do you ever get um, like a prompt where you're on a subway and then something happens and that you just like, shit, I wish I had a pen and paper right now because I want to write about this because this just prompted a memory or this just prompted something I've been wanting to talk about? Does that ever yeah, occur? Yeah, I, I, I always do it. I just always start writing. I'll, I'll actually like double down. Not only will I write, I'll record it. Um, okay. If something's happening, I regularly put the voice memo on because mm-hmm. um, I, th- I do think it's rude to like videotape people. And yeah. it might it might get them out of the moment, but I always, uh, whenever I think something interesting's happening, I'll turn on the voice memo, and let the phone record what's being said and what's happening, uh, so that it could jar memories later. And then I'll just start writing down notes right there on the spot. It's one of the few things that I know um, has annoyed anyone that I'm with. If uh, something happens that I know might lead to a joke or a story, mm-hmm. I do not care what's happening. I will stop and write it down. I need so, to do that. Yeah, and, and I've just explained it to people, like, I'm sorry, but, you know, this is the job. So, you know, it happens once or twice. People kind of think, you know, it's weird, but after a while, your friends and your family kind of get it. Um, I forget, like, you know, it, know. it moves on. The moment's lost. Yeah. So, yeah, always you'll see me instantly put on voice memo, and I'll open up the notes, and I'll start writing everything down there. I've got to start doing that. There's so many times something happens and I get back, I'll just be like, that was hilarious. And then I'm thinking, if I had written all that down, I would have had about five minutes on the stage tonight. Um, yeah. and, now I, and now I don't. Um, <laughs> Gaster, you're a beautiful man with some beautiful stories. Um, all right. Well, Gaster, we'll see you soon and we'll have you in here. And uh, you bring whatever you want in here. We'll have some. Uh, we'll have a picnic and a party. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Good talking to you. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye. A special thanks to James Camp, Managing Director of Sugared Studios. Sugared Studios is the sweet spot of visual storytelling and branded content marketing. And thank you to York & Chapel, the full-service digital agency. And Jared Bruder, designer and founder of the Dandy Group, who designed our logo. See you next time.